0: Thank you for setting your podcast dial to 14th and G. I'm your host, Dean Hinkson. 14th and G coming to you from the offices of Melman, Castagnetti, Rosen, and Thomas in a sweltering downtown Washington, D.C. This podcast focuses on the intersection of politics and business. Politics because it informs policy, which in turn impacts many of the things we do every day. And that intersection, that interplay is having a real impact on something most Americans do Every single day, driving. If you've bought a new car lately, you know changing lanes or parallel parking is now automated. But automation has progressed far beyond what the average American, the everyday consumer may be seeing to the point where people are no longer operating vehicles at all. I won't say sooner than you think, because it's already happening. And it's furthest along in the one area where there are no drivers and no passengers, and that's delivery. And I'm so pleased to be joined today by a guest that's on the ground floor of what's happening. Matthew Lipka is the head of policy for a company called Neuro. And if you haven't heard of them yet, you soon will. A robotics company, a Neuro vehicle may be delivering goods to a door near you right now. Matthew, welcome to 14th and G. Thanks so much for having me, Dean. Pleasure to be here. Well, Matthew, Neuro does call itself a robotics company and your main product is an autonomous vehicle, no driver, no passenger. It's on our roads delivering goods. How exactly does it work? Yeah, you know, we, we
1: call it a, a zero occupant vehicle. It's a zero emission and has no space for, for anyone inside of it. And it's really designed specifically for goods delivery. And the way that we do it is we develop software that lets the vehicle drive itself. We've designed a custom vehicle from the ground up that resembles a, a small car, but it's about half the size of a, of a typical car. And it has no driver's seat, no steering wheel, just compartments for goods. And then we own and operate these vehicles uh, in a commercial service in partnership with, with leading retailers like Domino's, Kroger, Walmart, CVS, and FedEx.
0: Okay, so you're delivering goods from these businesses to the door. The Neuro Vehicle pulls up, I guess I get an alert or something on my phone. And and then what happens? Exactly. So
1: you'll go on, say Kroger's website, Harris Teeter here in DC and say, I want milk cheese eggs this time today, or right away. And we will then drive to that store. Harris Teeter employee will then pick and pack your groceries for you load it in our vehicle, and then we'll drive to your home autonomously. Uh, You'll get a text message saying, Hey, we're 15 minutes out, we're at the curb. Come meet us. You come out, you enter your pin code or you open the doors with your phone. The relevant compartment will open because we've got two areas. Maybe your, your neighbor's pizza is in the next compartment. You grab your stuff, tap done, and it drives off autonomously. You don't take your neighbor's pizza though. No, the we keep that door locked to uh, keep your cheese secure. <laughs>
0: Well, Matthew, you know, uh, a delivery driver pulls up, uh, maybe you get a smile, maybe they're a little surly, they get a tip, they've got a job. Why does society need autonomous delivery? What's the what's the vision here on behalf of neuro and autonomous goods delivery? Absolutely, there is delivery today. But it is a small fraction of
1: how we shop. Um, In 2019, 11% of all shopping was done online. The rest is local commerce. That's still the same way we shopped 50 years ago. There's huge demand though, for more people to get things delivered to them. that makes sense, right? We're also busy uh, and now we're demanding contactless delivery as well. The expectations for the speed of delivery and the desire to save that time keeps going up. And it's a huge amount of traffic that we're doing, just going to and from the stores. It's about 43% of all trips are shopping and other errands. That's twice as much as we do for commuting uh, by car. And and so if we can give that time back to people, it's a big impact in their daily life. And it's something that the consumers
0: really want. Because the consumer angle is is pretty straightforward, right? I mean, it's great to have, if you've ever done online grocery delivery, I mean, the, the time you save going up and down the aisles and trying to remember everything you need. That's pretty apparent, but I think and some of the pushback you're probably getting is is about the delivery driver themselves. Are are we going to see a loss of jobs here, I guess, at the end of the day? One of the big challenges today is that delivery is super expensive.
1: If you get your groceries delivered, it's $15 to $25 on top of the cost of those groceries on average. And so that's something most families can't afford which is why the amount of groceries that were delivered in 2019 was only 3% of the total. Most families can't afford that. So if we can bring that cost down, more people can access that service. And that means more jobs, right? That's more jobs in building these vehicles, in monitoring them and maintaining them, of course, but also at the retail partners, right? I mentioned how a Kroger employee needs to pick and pack those goods. That's a new job because today I'm driving myself to the store to... Uh, pick out my own items. Kroger now needs to hire more people as more people order online. We can expect more uh, growth in e-commerce to actually lead to more jobs uh, on net. And even with say Domino's, which pioneered pizza delivery, we are going to see that they want, they tell us they want to have both options for their customers. Some customers prefer to have that pizza delivered to their door. Some customers prefer to stay in their PJs and not have to interact with a, uh, uh, someone when they're getting their late night pizza. Both options can be available uh,
0: <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's not going to require eliminating those jobs. Matthew, I guess when people hear autonomous driving, I, I think the first thing a lot of us think of is like Tesla's autopilot, right? You're, you're in the car, you're driving down the road, you probably should be looking and keeping your hands on the wheel, but that's different from what we're talking about. And delivery seems much farther along in terms of truly autonomous vehicles sharing our roads. Why is delivery so much better suited as we sort of go into this brave new world of sharing the road with autonomous vehicles?
1: Absolutely critical to make that distinction. You made there, Dean, the driver assistance systems like Tesla's autopilot require the driver to stay in control. And that means there has to always be a driver there and they have to be attentive. Once you remove that driver and everyone from that that vehicle, you can do a lot of things differently and delivery is the case where you can do that, right? If you have a robo-taxi, you still have a passenger. And that means you have to make trade-offs between occupant comfort occupant safety uh the safety of everyone around you whereas in delivery you can just focus on keeping all other road users safe and you can slam on the brakes and your pizza will be able to tolerate that so that really allows us to get to market more quickly it also allows us to rethink the vehicle itself to be much safer and have new design features like a lighter weight and Specific uh, features that protect pedestrians uh, that you can't do in a vehicle that really needs to prioritize protecting those inside.
0: So, Matthew, I think a question a lot of people have is, what's actually driving the vehicle? There's, uh, I, I guess, there's some human component that could take over if the vehicle gets stuck, if there's some sort of an emergency. There's somebody somewhere with a joystick, but, but in general, course of operation it's what it's an algorithm? Is this a proprietary formula? Would you classify this as artificial intelligence? What's actually telling that vehicle where to go, when to stop at the light, when to when to accelerate when to brake? What's behind all that? Well, the vehicle is designed to
1: be operated fully autonomously by a computer computer. And, uh, there is the possibility of a, of a human backup, which we do to, especially during the testing phases to ensure safety. But the primary case is autonomy. And the way that that works is it does all the functions that a human driver would do. It does, it sees the world around us. It thinks about what it should do, and then it implements that change. So I kind of think about it as see, think, do the, that process it, it sounds really futuristic but this is actually a technology that has been in the works for uh, 50 years 30 years ago in San Diego was the there was a demonstration of this autonomy technology and then it really kick-started with the DARPA urban challenges that uh, our co-founder was part of that and then uh, went to the Google self-driving car project with our with our other co-founders so this is not a brand new technology It's just beginning now to emerge in commercial applications. But
0: it is a form of AI, artificial intelligence. Would you categorize it that way?
1: It it definitely includes components of it. So some parts of it are not AI. Building a high definition map, understanding where we are in that map is, is not AI, but some parts are. One of the ways that we can get really, really good at understanding and perceiving the world around us is with a machine learning being applied to images of pedestrians, cars, and so forth. And that is one of the elements in how we're able to determine what that object is going to do next, right? because a pedestrian is going to move at a very different pace than a fire truck. And so we need to make sure that we're able to accurately identify what kind
0: of uh, object or person uh, we're seeing around us. So you do have partnerships with Walmart, with Domino's, with Kroger. So you've actually been doing deliveries, I'm guessing, in probably more concentrated urban centers where it's a little more easier to navigate. What are some of the biggest, not just technological challenges, but what are some of the biggest human challenges you've had to overcome as both drivers on the road interact and then customers interact with the neuro vehicle? Yeah, we have been really deployed now for three years. We, we deployed first in
1: Scottsdale, Arizona, um, sort of suburban setting, and then now in Houston as well. We've been for over two years doing deliveries with with Kroger and and with Domino's and, and others, it has given us a lot of a lot of learnings. You know, one one thing that we found is that some people really want to challenge the software, and so they might jump in front of the vehicle, which we do not encourage. Uh, luckily, it always stops, but <laughs> don't want to t- don't want to push that. But but more specifically, there's a lot of operational learnings when you take a, do something like delivery that's been done for a number of years, and you take the driver out of that vehicle, there's over 100 things that you need to figure out. What happens if you get a flat tire? You know What happens uh, if a police officer uh, is directing traffic uh, or needs to pull you over? How do you detect different sirens? The uh, Houston police even have horses. How do you detect that? And so there's just so many different things that you need to figure out when there's not a human in the vehicle to to operate that. And some of them are related to the Technology. Some of them are related to actually operating the real service uh, uh, on a day to day basis.
0: Well, when you want to put an autonomous vehicle on the road, and, and you sort of have alluded to the regulatory side here at the federal level, we've got the Department of Transportation, the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, you've got state regulators who actually determine who their drivers are, what a qualified driver is within a particular state. And so they've all got a lot to say uh, in terms of what you can put on the road. You've talked a little bit about the need or, or the lack of need for gas pedals and windshields and seatbelts. We don't have any people in the car. What are some of those regulatory challenges neuro is uh, working to overcome
1: the federal government as you noted regulates vehicle design, and they have these standards that make a lot of sense for a human driven vehicle, protecting the occupant, giving the occupant the ability to control that vehicle. Those standards are not updated for this new kind of generation of vehicle. The the median age of a federal motor vehicle safety standards is from 1980, right? When this technology was science fiction. And here, 40 years later, uh, we have this new kind of vehicle. And so when uh, we design our vehicle we want to have the certainty of what are the standards that we need to design to because obviously it doesn't make sense to have a brake pedal in the vehicle and so we are we've met with the department of transportation since we were founded you know five years ago you know they recognize that it doesn't make sense to put a driver's seat in our vehicle that doesn't make it safer in fact it'll make it heavier and wider uh, require us to put more steel in the vehicle that could make it actually less safe for everyone uh, around the vehicle. So we're not putting a driver's seat in the vehicle and we we are uh, working with them to update these standards to make it clear that, that they really don't apply for a vehicle like Neuro's. The challenge is that it takes uh, on average about eight to 10 years for for NHTSA, the Highway Traffic uh, Safety Regulator, to update their regulations. And so the urgency of this new technology is is outpacing the pace of uh, updating and modernizing of those regulations.
0: And you've gotten some some good cooperation from regulators as, as you've tried to put these on the road. How much progress have you made? Absolutely. I think that the
1: safety case of not having someone in that vehicle, being able to redesign that vehicle to be even safer, plus the the zero emissions, the ability to provide access to people that live in food deserts, uh, and the jobs that this creates, I think that that resonates. It's a particular application of autonomy where you can see those benefits more quickly. And and as we talked about earlier, it's one of the first to come. So we we worked with. Uh, usdot to get an exemption for our second generation vehicle called robot uh, robot two or r2
0: and very, very that, inventive you, name matthew yes
1: you'll never guess what the first one was called you know? <laughs> and, and so, yes you got it uh, I, I, so we we did work with them and got a uh, an exemption on that which is actually the first time that the federal regulator has approved an autonomous vehicle for this, it allowed us to remove some of the equipment that was required that would have been required by the rules for a low-speed vehicle. Things like a side view mirror or a windshield. Things that don't have any safety benefit when you have a vehicle with no people in it. And, and that was a real big milestone for the industry because it was that first approval. It's
0: uh, that vehicle is now operating on the road fully autonomous in three states. Well, Matthew, what are some of what are some of the specs on R two? How fast can it go? How far can it go? What kind of maintenance do you have to perform on it? Because I think your ultimate vision here is I mean, this isn't just one or two vehicles. You've got. You've got fleets of these vehicles that are available for delivery with whomever your partners are, but h- how fast do they go? Right now, they're limited to 25 miles an hour,
1: and part of that is the regulatory issues that we've just been talking about. You are at 25 miles an hour. There's a different set of regulations that, for the most part, just doesn't happen to refer to a human driver, and so it's more clear uh, how to meet those uh, but ultimately, we're planning to build these vehicles out to go a bit faster so that they can reach more people because in, in some in cities, you can operate in neighborhoods on 25 mile an hour roads, but ultimately, we want to be able, be able to reach suburbs, more rural areas. And a lot of those roads, you don't want to be going 25 miles on for an extended period of time. And so our next generation vehicle, we plan to be able to do More of that. We're really looking forward to it. It'll also be uh, we're going to stick with zero emission, battery electric vehicles. We've got two compartments in the vehicle. They have active cooling, keep your ice cream cool. You can also keep your pizza hot. We have a plethora of sensors that let this vehicle operate safely. That we continually uh, upgrade uh, over time, uh, including cameras, radar, lidar, thermal cameras, uh, even uh, a audio sensor.
0: Well, Matthew, it's fascinating because on the one hand, it's very 21st century, you know, the computer side of the business, the artificial intelligence side of the business. But on the other side is sort of an old fashioned car business. I mean, you have to build these things. They have uh, they have a, a heavy manufacturing component, four wheels, all the rest of it. You make all of your vehicles uh, here in the U.S., and it sounds like you've got a big announcement coming on your manufacturing what is happening? That's
1: right. So we built R2 in Michigan. And as we get ready for our next generation vehicle, we're announcing that we are investing $40 million in two new facilities uh, in Las Vegas, Nevada, where we will have one which is an end-of-line manufacturing facility uh, where we will complete that manufacturing process. These vehicles will be assembled in America and, and come to this facility for that final completion. And we're also creating a Closed course test track, which is basically a model city. So all of the unusual situations that we see in the world, we can put the vehicle through its paces on this test track in a world that looks like a city, and whether it's a ball that rolls across the, the road, that's often followed by a kid. You want to make sure the vehicle can handle that in a closed course environment before we see it on the road. And so we're going to be building a custom facility to do that uh, in Nevada as well. Not just in Nevada, you're right there at uh, Las Vegas Motor Speedway, right? That's right. The closed course is uh, at the Motor Speedway, uh, and we're building a a brand new facility about 12 miles down the road for the end line manufacturing.
0: Matthew, so you do, you're, you're not only building all of your vehicles here in the United States, you're expanding that manufacturing capacity in the United States uh, at a time where that's another big policy question that, that policymakers are grappling with. Why is it important for Neuro to maintain their man, manufacturing here in the US?
1: Our company is uh, founded in
0: America, a American company. We're, we're headquartered in
1: California. Our founders are, are really invested in this it's obviously our first market but also if you look at their background uh, one of our co-founders dave ferguson you know he worked on the darpa urban challenge funded by the defense department uh his, his phd thesis was was funded by the national science foundation this is a technology where america has made the investment over the last 20 years and it's really important to us that we continue to invest here to uh, for america to remain uh, in the lead on this technology
0: Matthew, I'll just sort of close out here with, and ask you to look into your crystal ball, the delivery driver, the, the human delivery component. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time trying to figure out the, what's called the last mile in delivery. Uh, it's something that policymakers have grappled with. Uh, and this seems like a component of that solution of, of getting efficient delivery to the door. Is the delivery driver something that exists in five years, in ten years? How how rapidly is this technology progressing?
1: Absolutely, I think the delivery driver will still be around in in, in twenty years, thirty years, because this is a solution for some of our trips, but but not at all of them. It's a big enough market, you know, that we don't need to get hundred percent. It's a three trillion dollars are spent on groceries worldwide each year. We don't we don't need to have a hundred percent of that. Uh, it's It's always going to be needed because some people are going to want to have a person come to the door. There's some things that are big and heavy, like furniture, that are not a good fit for for this vehicle. And that's perfectly fine. Uh, We found that customers that use this tend to come back again and again and order groceries uh, every week this way. Uh, But that's not going to be everyone. Uh, I think that we'll continue to have uh, growth in in, uh, all uh, new kinds of delivery, and we're seeing Trends where ten-minute delivery is now uh, is now a thing. We're seeing you know smaller vehicles, so I, I can see that there will be uh, like like e-bikes being used increasingly for for delivery. So I can see this big spectrum where we're going to see a lot of innovation and delivery. You know, we think autonomous on-road vehicles will be the the best segment, but I think there's going to be a lot of uh, interesting innovation in this
0: space. Well, until your neuro-moving truck shows up with one of those Boston <laughs> Scientific robots that looks <laughs> that look like they can mimic a lot of things humans do. So maybe that's many years down the road. Matthew Lipka, thank you so much for joining me on 14th and G. My pleasure. Thank you, Dean.